for real? What do you mean? I don't know. I just feel like maybe I made you up. Welcome to the graveyard slot where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sohini. And I'm Sarah. And today we're talking about All Too Well, the short film. <laughs> Which is totally normal here on the podcast. <laughs> All Too Well, the short film tells the story of a woman recounting an old relationship and its inner workings, growing the more resentful or clear-headed all the while. It was released in 2021, though it was originally released as a 5-minute song in 2012 as the fifth track in the album Red by Taylor Swift, and then as a 10-minute song as the 30th track in 2021's Red, Taylor's version. It was directed by Taylor Swift and written by Taylor Swift, <laughs> with lyrics by... Taylor Swift, <laughs> and Liz Rose, who has written a lot of songs for Taylor Swift, <laughs> but also for country artists like Lil Big Town and Tim McGraw, among many others. And the music itself is produced by Taylor Swift and Jack Antonoff. And that sounds like a group project where like only one person did all the work. Sorry, I wasn't sure if I got that right. So did you say Taylor Swift is involved in this project or? She makes an appearance in the credits, I would say. <laughs> yeah. So on this podcast, we discuss movies we suspect deserve more credit. While All Too Well, the short film, has been received incredibly positively by Taylor Swift fans, general audiences have repeatedly tried to discredit Taylor Swift's talents throughout her career for a variety of reasons, many of which have little to do with her actual artistry. In this episode, we set aside all notions of the usual points of conjecture, namely Taylor Swift's personal life, and focus solely on her work as the writer and director of this movie and creator of All Too Well, the 10-minute version. Yeah, you know what's really interesting is the fact that a lot of people also tend to discredit this as a film, mm -hmm. calling it more so a music video than anything, and you know what? I'm going to be controversial. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch this short film and think that it's not a film, but when someone brings up that little fact, I don't necessarily disagree. Yeah, I think the lines definitely are more muddled. It's not exactly a pure music video in the usual sense, nor is it a short film in the usual sense. So it's somewhere in the middle. And I also don't think it's an insult or anything to call it a music video because it's not like your typical short film either. But one review that I found, which is just kind of user-generated from Letterboxd, but I found quite interesting, had this issue with the short film and goes on to say, most of the montage scenes are cliches of memories that happen with relationships. And while that's fine and the imagery halfway works for a song like this, it does come off as rather lazy and uninspired for such an inspired heartfelt song, which I also don't disagree with. Yeah, me neither. Although maybe that's also the point for it to be a series of quote-unquote cliche moments in a relationship because it's supposed to be that imagined perfect relationship. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, I'm not sure if this is because of the inherent artistry of this movie or if it's because I'm a fan of Taylor Swift. <laughs> but every time I think of something that I don't necessarily like as much, I feel like there's a purpose behind it. And then I don't know if I'm reading too much into it or if I'm giving Taylor Swift too much credit or <laughs> if I'm giving this movie too much credit. But I mean, I think that's what makes it a great piece of art because you can interpret it in different ways. Yes, you're right. With every shortcoming that this film has, I can understand understand where it's coming from like what it does functionally but i don't think it absolves the issue either it just means unfortunately it creates this issue 
in the final product. Yeah, it's not because it was a thoughtless decision. There is intent behind it. Maybe it could have been done another way that might have been better for the movie overall, but it's still done with a purpose. And I think that's what sets it apart from a lot of mediocre work that we see. <laughs> I just have one more Letterboxd review that I would like to share with you, you know, for the good of the podcast. <laughs> the top review on Letterboxd reads... This is my Citizen Kane, <laughs> which I thought was very relevant to this podcast, and I just had to say it. Well, I don't know. This podcast Citizen Kane spot is already taken by Barbie as the <laughs> yes. princess on the pauper. I don't know if anything can dethrone that, but all too well might give that movie a run for its money. Maybe. We'll see. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find a review that spoke to you? One that annoyed me was from the Sydney Morning Herald. It says, Swift has built a career on turning crash and burn love affairs into superb tell-all pop songs. Almost without exception, she is the injured party. It's emotionally, lyrically, and musically compelling, but there's not much room for the idea of two sides to every story. The importance of controlling the narrative and turning it to her advantage is something she knows all too well. <laughs> Props for incorporating lyrics into your review. That's definitely a very original idea. <laughs> I don't get that criticism, and it's present in so many reviews. So, I mean, as a disclaimer, the review does also have some positive comments on All Too Well, the actual short film. And this is kind of referring more to her general discography. But I think the reason why it annoyed me especially is because it's the kind of commentary we see so much with any project that Taylor Swift does. It's always about her as a person. It's always about her motives behind each project. Even in this article, the writer actually mentioned the fact that Taylor Swift is re-recording her older albums and called it another thing that she wants the last say on. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like too much of the time it's focusing not on the actual artistry of the projects. It's too much about the creator and not enough about the creation and it focuses in my opinion, on the wrong thing. That's why this review stood out to me because it's like an example of everything that so many people do wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. There's a review from the Harvard Crimson that I thought was really interesting because they commented on Rena Wang's camera work. And it reads, Shots linger with abnormal lengths, an element director of photography Rena Wang effectively develops throughout the film. The camera twists, circles, and sways rather than cuts. This style of shooting introduces the viewer as an invisible third party peering into the journey of two lovers. That is interesting to me because paired with the criticism that we just talked about, it does kind of fall in line with that in the sense that if we were to believe this reading of the camera work, then this is supposed to be an objective view of what's happening in this relationship of the past. Whereas, I don't think, for one, the music on its own suggests. So I think that'll be an interesting aspect as we go through the short film. If the film itself suggests that this is an objective view, or if, in my opinion at least, like the song, it does it really, you know? Yeah, that's actually really interesting because when I was watching the short film and really focusing on the lyrics at the same time, it definitely felt like there were some discrepancies between what the movie was saying and what the song is saying. So I think alongside the cinematography, it will be really interesting to 
keep an eye out for those points of divergence and see what it does for the overall product. For the record, at this point, I do believe that the camera work actually suggests that it's subjective. That's the impression I got as well. We're very much in that one character's head. And so it doesn't feel like there's a third person in the room. It very much feels like we're inside her mind reliving this with her. Actually, the movie starts from her perspective. There's a little scene in the beginning, but when the music starts, the camera is her eyes and she's looking at her partner as she walks through the door and then the camera turns around and we see her. I think this especially suggests that we are in her perspective. But before we get too far ahead, on the subject of walking in her shoes, (laughs) my personal experience with this song is that Obviously, I heard the song when it first came out in 2012. I heard the 10-minute version when it came out in 2021. I watched the short film when it came out and then never did again. I'm not a big music video person. This is the deciding factor for me, I guess. If this short film was more movie-like, then I would have gone back to it. But I never did, to be quite honest. I had a similar experience. I also heard All Too Well, the original version, back when Red first came out in 2012. And the video itself, I also didn't feel inclined to go back to it. I know I'm not a fan of Taylor's because she's Taylor, but still, whenever she releases something new, I can safely take it for granted that it'll be great because I think of her as a talented artist. I don't think I've said it yet, but I like her work. (laughs) I do like her enough to be biased, but I will say that even though I think she is very talented, I like her as a songwriter. I'm not familiar with her as a director or as a filmmaker, so I think uh, I would be more than happy to call her a shitty one. (laughs) I don't think I will, I just... Yeah, because like, sure, we might be more forgiving or be willing to give her new work an extra chance before we write it off. But we also know what she's capable of. And so if something that she produces doesn't necessarily meet, from our perspective, the level of quality that she's shown before, I think we also are not that sycophantic that we're not going to mention it. That's also true. That's a great point. All right, let's actually jump into it. Yes. We will be discussing this in chronological order as usual. And do you want to start us off? Sure. The opening shot of the movie is our two main characters. They're in bed and their limbs are intertwined. And in this shot, they kind of look difficult to distinguish from each other. And it's pretty intimate. But I think from the start, they hint at how the relationship kind of takes over her identity. When I say her, (laughs) that's the name the character is given and her partner is referred to as him. So I guess to clear up any confusions, that is how we will be referring to the characters. (laughs) Actually, I want to bring up the review that I found from Harvard Crimson. It reads, the film begins with her asking him, are you real? A question that follows viewers throughout, effectively framing the story without revealing its theme in an overtly obvious way. In this moment, the question is a genuine expression of amazement at her lover, as they then begin to wander in the picturesque nature of early fall. I disagree. I think it's a pretty overtly obvious theme. (laughs) (laughs) Specifically because of this, the framing of the story is what makes it so overt. Not in a bad way, just like I'm kind of flabbergasted that anyone could say that the theme reveals itself throughout the movie because I feel that way with the song. I don't feel that way with the movie. 
as soon as it starts and she says this line, I'm like, okay, I get it. From the beginning, we're already introducing this question. Even with it being an expression of amazement from her at this point, we understand because we know the premise of the story. Even if you're not familiar with the song, I think you understand what, what's happening going to this film. And so once she asks this question, you know, that's the theme of the film and that's what's going to be unraveled. I don't know. Honestly, it's too difficult for me to separate the music video and the song. And because I was already so familiar with the themes of the song, I can't tell. Yeah, that's true. Maybe it's just because I know where it's going. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting what you said about them, you know, intertwined and how they're almost indistinguishable from one another and how even here in the opening shot, we see how the relationship has swallowed her whole almost. That's a really good read. I like that a lot because it is a big theme in the song and in the film. Maybe that's a more subtle way of hinting where the story is going because on the surface... It's a very intimate gesture of a couple just spending time alone together. But once you understand where the story is going, it gains a different meaning. Also, one thing that I do like is they play with color a lot throughout the movie. And they do it from the start because in the opening scene, she is dressed in warm colors and he is dressed in cool colors. And kind of obvious, but still a simple way of <laughs> indicating their stances in the relationship. Yeah. As you go through the movie, you also see this contrast in the different scenes, depending on where they are in their relationship and the state of it, which I thought was really interesting. They never seem to complement each other. It's always like they're on opposite ends of the scale. If she's wearing warm colors, he's wearing cool tones. And if she's wearing white, he's wearing black. And they never seem to be on the same page. Another thing that plays into this is that this is set in autumn. Yeah. Right after the very first opening scene, we see her amongst the autumn leaves and you see all the red tones and everything. And this is a very prevalent theme throughout the film and the song. We've talked about it before and I really like your reading of the use of this season in the song. If you want to talk about that. I mean, firstly, there's an inherent juxtaposition in using autumn as the season when this relationship seemingly begins. Because autumn could, on one hand, symbolize abundance and harvest and all those beautiful things. But on the other hand, it also represents decay. And especially with winter ahead. And it could potentially serve as foreshadowing for what's to come. Not just in the fact that winter is inevitable but almost the natural next step so it's like this relationship is pretty much doomed from the very start and inherent in using these seasons is also the colors because in the beginning it's all you know warm colors like reds and oranges and yellows and as we go through the story both in the song and in the film the colors slowly start to grow more and more dim as we head towards winter and so compared to the beginning of the song by the end the red has cooled into blues and the autumn leaves falling have turned into snowflakes falling and there's that sense of general numbness compared to the warmth of the beginning of the song so i think the use of the seasons here is such a simple but effective way to convey so much on so many different levels i agree especially with autumn specifically and it's seen in the shot that we're talking about where she's surrounded by the autumn leaves is that it represents decay but it looks beautiful 
Yeah, you're right. And the fact that those two can coexist in autumn this season and in this relationship, mm. I think, is really interesting. I really love the use of autumn and death in the film and in the song. Yeah, that's a great point. And also the shot itself with her looking up at the trees and kind of being dwarfed by them. It makes her seem even younger and smaller than she is. And again, if we're going by this kind of representing her relationship, it's like her form being dwarfed and taken over by the relationship. Getting lost in the trees. Yeah, they're not out of the woods. (laughs) (laughs) So I see the house that they start with as a representation of their relationship. So I walked through the door is obviously re-entering a memory. And the actual line is, I walked through the door with you, which I think is very specific because in the beginning, they were doing this together. They were on the same page. At least she thought so. (laughs) And her partner was there for her. Yes, with the first line about walking through the door definitely can serve as a re-entering of the memory alongside entering of a new relationship. And there is a sense of trust and partnership in this wording, but what we actually see on screen is that him actually leaving her behind at the threshold. He's the one who walks in first. And then the camera turns and we see her following him. So from the beginning, there's this discrepancy between the words in the song and what we see on screen. And it's almost like through this retrospection, she's realizing that they were never really in this together at all from the very start. And yeah, with the juxtaposition of the cold air and it's somehow still feeling like home it's quite unnatural because a home is somewhere that's supposed to provide warmth and comfort and it seems like she's kind of in denial (laughs) about this discomfort about this unwelcome feeling if it's cold why did she take off the (laughs) scarf Is it impolite? Is this a hat thing? It's almost like she's making a space for herself in there. It's like an arbitrary gesture just to mark her presence. Yeah. Yes, the actual line is, I left my scarf there at your sister's house. And obviously this is supposed to symbolize her leaving a part of herself in this past relationship that she can never get back. Later, this is put in an even more literal sense when the scarf is equated with innocence. But I think it definitely could be representative of anything. True of anyone looking back at a relationship they truly dedicated themselves to. And the fact that the line says you've still got it in your drawer even now it's like that part of her will always be tucked into the memory of this past relationship it's not just that it's gone it will forever remind her of this time in her life there's no way to wash it off and reclaim it or at least it doesn't feel like it to her yeah that's a great point the way i interpret the song also is that the speaker kind of seems to be imposing certain ideas on her ex-partner and with this line about him still keeping the scarf it's like she's potentially seeing it as him not being able to forget the relationship either the same way as her but it could also be something different it could potentially be like an act of power almost that he's got ownership of a part of her that he's unwilling to let go even when the relationship is over and it's like even if it doesn't mean as much to him even if it's tucked away out of sight he knows he's still got it right another interesting take would be that even if he doesn't want it that will always be his and neither of them can really change that yeah So the film is divided into several chapters, I guess is one way to describe it. And we get our first chapter, (laughs) an upstate 
Escape, which shows our main characters going on a trip together. The first line in the second verse is, Oh, your sweet disposition and my wide-eyed gaze. Wide-eyed gaze especially tells of naivete and youth. Especially when compared to, as we spoke about the season, like autumn representing maturity almost. So that makes her innocence even more stark. Actually, now that you put it that way, it paints a picture of her like being surrounded by such a different world than what maybe she should have been in or than what you would expect of her character. But what I love is the use of sweet disposition and the word sweet especially. It paints a picture of someone who was enticing another. This is a view colored by everything we learn in the rest of the song, but at the very least, pairing sweet disposition with wide-eyed gaze emphasizes how easy it was for her to buy into this connection. She was already primed for it, and the partner was particularly charming, and what I think sweet evokes in my mind especially is nice. So it was like a foregone conclusion yeah, that's a really great point. And I don't know, maybe it's because there is some theological wording and imagery throughout the song as well. When you were talking about the use of the word sweet, my mind immediately went to Apple. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, maybe there's something there. But the wording that struck me is in the next line. And it's kind of related to the theological wording. Because the song says, We're singing in the car, getting lost upstate. And throughout the song, we kind of see this imagery of like an upwards trajectory versus downwards. And with them going upstate here, the upward direction could symbolize something pure, something almost holy if we compare it to the use of upstairs in state of grace and similarly in a later verse the song mentions the drive back down and so it's like physically representing the ups and downs of the relationship the extreme highs and then the doubts creep in and then you know they're on a downward trajectory again yeah i agree with you i really love the fact that this day trip or whatever is very much symbolism for their relationship and the journey that it takes even the line we're singing in the car it's to convey the fact that they are enjoying the moment they are living in this honeymoon phase and getting lost upstate is them getting lost in the moment <laughs> and it's just a depiction of how the relationship was when it was smooth sailing in this moment also in the film we see her through the rearview mirror as she looks at her partner a great way to show the perspective of someone looking back but also how it may be not be true to life as is the case with rearview mirrors it's such a simple way of conveying both the moment but also framing it in retrospection because you know this is a prevalent thread in the song we're constantly reminded that this is her going through it in her memory and to see it visually like that was great and the fact that he's driving and she's sitting there watching him she's in a much more passive position while he's taking the lead in the relationship but yeah the following lyrics are autumn leaves falling down like pieces into place which is you know it's picture perfect i always thought it was kind of a weird line actually the imagery never meshed in my head because when i imagine autumn leaves falling it's like a free fall and they don't actually have a specific designated place they're falling into and it could indicate more denial about the state of the relationship or like the speaker almost 
seeing little things as signs that they're not or like prescribing coincidence as fate you know like putting more meaning into it than is actually there that's a great read if i were to take it at face value i would think that it means falling down like pieces into place as in it was always supposed to land there right 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 but the part of that struck me is and i can picture it after all these days of course this is about the memory being so clear in her mind but also i think telling of the fact that it is a memory and nothing more this is how she remembers it this is how she felt in this moment her feelings and perspective is what had built this picture perfect idea of their relationship i guess this can also explain the discrepancy between what we're seeing on screen and what we hear in the lyrics because two things are happening here her recounting the relationship and her making up the relationship as she goes using her memories you know that's a great way to look at it she's an unreliable narrator i love it (laughs) yeah that makes for such a more interesting story at this point in the film we see shots of them just sort of wandering around (laughs) and there's this shot of the camera revolving around the two of them and i thought that was a nice way of portraying that giddy feeling of first love where it feels like your entire world revolves around that one person i agree it does convey the whirlwind that the relationship was but so as we go into the pre-chorus it is introduced for the first time that they are no longer together i know it's long gone that magic's not here no more this is how we go into the course and And the phrasing of the first line here, because there we are again, I really like that because it tells us that the memory keeps haunting her. It's not like this is the first time she's revisiting it. The phrasing implies that this keeps happening repeatedly over the course of however long it's been since this past relationship. It's frustrated. There we are again. But in this course, it's that they're on that little town street. I think this depicts the idea of a picture-perfect small town. The idealized small-town Americana standing in for what we are told or think is the perfect relationship on their best days this relationship was a perfect small town and that idea is present in a lot of her work but in the film it's also depicted as this out of the way bubble where no one could disturb them with these pretty trees and this beautiful lake and they could just kind of chill for a while that's a great observation and now that you put it that way i'm thinking of a much later line where she's talking about the city's barren cold and so the little town of the relationship once it breaks it forces her into this barren city you know where she's all alone and it's an unfriendly place and the use of the setting there is really great i think it's also informed by the fact that taylor swift is a country singer at least in the beginning but if we are to go into the song understanding the context of the genre i think it's safe to assume that little town street and its connotations are present the line that always strikes me is the next one which says you almost ran the red because you were looking over at me again it's something that seems romantic on the surface that he seems to have forgotten the rest of the world while looking at her and it's almost like that feeling of being infatuated by someone to the point where it's beyond logic or your control but also the fact that he's running the red could indicate 
that he doesn't respect boundaries. A warning sign almost that he doesn't know when to stop. Yeah. This line fascinated me. It seems that she has some awareness that her partner was at the verge of doing something wrong. You almost ran the red, like you said, crossing boundaries. So like she may have been distracted by his sweet disposition, may have been looking at everything with rose-tinted glasses, but he too was distracted by the view. Mm. The rest of the song depicts a very particular type of relationship, so I don't want this to sound victim blamey. But I just mean that in this romantic relationship, where it's been reiterated over and over again how this persona saw her partner and their time together, I absolutely love this glimpse into what she thinks her partner's perspective might be. Be, that he too was blinded by his feelings because I think one of the things her character is grappling with throughout this film is her inability to really tell if it was ever real. I mean, obviously we already talked about how she's an unreliable narrator, how the perfection of this relationship might have never really been real, but part of the hurt that we get to know later on is his dismissal of her feelings. Not just like when she's bringing up issues, but her feelings towards him romantically and his supposed feelings towards her. And so this idea that she knew that he too was as blinded by his feelings so much so that he could have also done unwise things because he was so in love or whatever the way that she did right it's even more so self-aware because it feels like the first time something unpleasant bleeds into the picture-perfect fantasy when the red is very visceral and it captures the underlying thing that's been in the background so far the fact that she's been building up a perfect relationship while ignoring the cliff that we already know is coming and maybe the less than wholesome aspect that's been there all along but she refuses to acknowledge so far i want to go back to your previous point <laughs> yes about his feelings because I can absolutely see that. I just wonder if... Because, you know, you mentioned something about him being distracted by the view. So another possible reading could be that he seems to be just as moved by her as she is by him but for him it's more on the surface. We get hints of this later on as well when she asks him if he only saw her as this jewel, this object, you know, that made him look better to have her by his side. And it could very well be that he's distracted, yes, but just by the, the surface, just by the beauty of it, but he doesn't actually see any deeper than that. I agree. But yet what you said here, that also makes a lot of sense because the next chapter is actually titled The First Crack in the Glass. <laughs> this is where it seems like things are starting to take a downward turn. I also see this in the line Wind in My Hair. Again, the first disturbance, this time one that will ripple and affect her and her perspective as well. It ruffles her. That's an interesting reading. I hadn't thought of it that way because for me that image always seemed more of freedom and being carefree and especially when compared to what it turns into later on because near the end of the song wind in my hair becomes running scared and it's like that sense of escapism we see from the beginning of the song becomes twisted and this is accompanied by these memories that she's going through turning more and more bitter as she goes through them i see that too yeah so we go into the next chapter, the first crack in the glass, and this is the third verse. It starts with photo album on the counter. Your cheeks were turning red. And photo album on the counter, I think, is very in line with, you know, I walked through the door with you. It's another beginning. It's another opening of a new chapter, if you will. The line that fascinates me is, you taught me about your past thinking your future with me. I always thought 
This line said a lot about how the partner looked more into the future than she did. In the original version of the song, where it was basically half the narrative we got in this one, this line always sounded to me like he was more invested in their future than she was. Not more caring per se, but it always makes it sound like she always knew this was going to end whereas he assumed otherwise. I think with this version's narrative, it's more in line with the fact that he was older and maybe more mindful of building a future with a long-term partner. Again, we learn why that may not be the case when she elaborates on her feelings on him later on, but this line just always hits me that they both bought into this, you know? I really like the idea that as much as a dick the guy was or whatever, the idea that they were both in it. Like, I think the big crux of this narrative is that she isn't making it up. He too was in love with her even though he turned into a dick, you know? And I think she is clearly grappling with this and the idea that this should be off the table completely, that we are to believe that she was fooled the entire time, I think really discredits the thread that we get through this film, through this narrative, that is that question. Like, was it or was it not real? Because if you just decide that oh we get it her partner was fooling her the entire time then like that completely takes out why this narrative is so interesting the point is that we are questioning because if we are to believe that he didn't care then that's the narrative that he's putting forth because he's dismissing all of these things that they went through together but the point is that she's kind of proposing a past where they were both you know invested in this right yeah i agree i think it is an interesting question to explore and it makes the narrative a lot more complex rather than if we just have a straightforward answer and especially if that answer is that he was toying with her all along. I think it is interesting to explore the idea that he was initially on the same page as her and then the question becomes what happened? What was the turning point? I just, because this is from her perspective and we can never truly know and because of the impression I mentioned earlier where I feel like a lot of the time she is potentially projecting her own emotions onto his actions. I just feel like could this be another instance where this is happening because is he telling her things about himself with a long-term future in mind or does he just like to talk about himself? <laughs> you know yeah. and this is hinted at later on as well when he's meeting her father and she describes it as you know he's sipping his coffee like he's on a late night show and I just love the implication of that because on a late night show you're the center of attention you're it's all about you and it also hints at someone who's self-absorbed so I wouldn't be surprised if she's reading more meaning into this than there actually is they're at a dinner party and they're surrounded by his friends she's younger than everybody she doesn't know any of them and in the middle of it all she tries to take his hand and he kind of dismisses her and puts it down on the table and again this is like this becomes a very significant moment for her she feels dismissed and belittled yeah i really like that dinner scene paired with this line as well specifically because you know like you said in the film he refuses to treat her like an equal partner front of his peers which I think the thing with the film is that it adds a new layer where it does feel like the character 13 years on looking back even more so than it already did in the song you know but here paired with thinking your future was me this might be telling of what kind of future they might have had once the relationship is realized and exposed to both their lives and the people in them this is what he will turn into the future he dreams up for them would have been full of moments like this that's sad <laughs> yeah but yeah, I think he knew what he did. 
I guess like there's no scenario in which this is not malicious. Yeah, I think he definitely knows what he did. It's just like they're just coming at it from two different angles. Her angle is that she's already feeling out of place and then he's coming at it from a gaslighting angle. But what you said about this is how their future would be. It's also a future where she could never really be herself, I think. Because this is the first time we see her dressed kind of differently. She's wearing black, maybe trying to appear more mature, older, to try and fit in with him and his friends. And it's such a stark contrast to the way we've seen her so far. And it feels like she would always be an artificial version of herself if she were to be with him and even then she's not good enough because he won't acknowledge the relationship publicly the next scene we see is them back of state and he's having this phone call and again the imagery was quite reminiscent of the opening scene to me when he's walking ahead of her and he leaves her behind he sort of does a similar thing here where he i guess tells her to wait in the car while he's on the phone and just leaves her behind again like he did in the beginning and there's this lingering gaze between them where she's watching him and he looks back at her and i really like this moment it's really quiet and it also feels like she's seeing him in a new light for the first time and he knows it given the scene we have before this the dinner scene and the scene we get afterwards with them having an argument i think this is such a pivotal turning point because yes the dinner scene was the first crack in the glass as they said but i think this is where she has a moment of distance from him to process it this is where it sinks in i think interesting i thought that he left the car because of a fight and then he had a phone call i guess i took the storming out of the car part as like a fight and the lyrics that accompany this is and you were tossing me the car keys fuck the patriarchy keychain on the ground these lines read to me like he's inviting her in in a way that they were for a time equal partners though maybe the fact that she felt like she had to do this in the first place is telling that they never were But to me, it reads like at some point, she was the one in the driver's seat and was taking the lead. So especially following the previous line, you taught me about your past thinking your future is me. It lends her a lot of accountability in how the relationship may have deteriorated. Not fault or blame or anything. At the very least, it does a pretty good job of portraying the fact that this is a relationship with two people steering it. Though it may also suggest that at some point, the partner checked out. The line keychain on the ground especially supports this reading because it's about abandonment and being left behind. In the film, he physically gets out of the car, aka their relationship, and walks away, leaving her behind to deal with the fallout. She's the only one who seems to be interested in picking them up and working on this relationship anymore. She's in the driver's seat not because he wants her to have equal power or anything, but because he's now just kind of along for the ride and no longer interested in taking them anywhere. That's really interesting. I think that's a great reading. That makes a lot of sense and actually the reading i had of the line about tossing the keychain does align with this because for me the juxtaposition between the statement on the keychain and the fact that he's tossing it to her so carelessly that it falls to the ground shows pretense and lack of sincerity and a lack of respect as well and this could all be a result of him just as you said not being interested in this relationship anymore you know he's done with it he's done with her yeah so The next line is, we were always skipping town. And again, there's that sense of escape that we had in getting lost upstate. And I think with what we talked about, with him kind of giving up on the relationship, it's almost like this escape is less 
them escaping into their own private little bubble and more like almost a distraction from reality from the real state of their relationship it's like they're increasingly skipping town because they're ignoring <laughs> what's really happening here and in general in this song i think escapism and denial resonate in the lyrics because on the surface we get these light-hearted moments described these heartwarming sentiments but everything is tinged with a sense of nostalgia and melancholy and I think this is where that framing of retrospection works really well because despite all the warm and rosy scenes it's a constant reminder that this is all in the past. You're right. The following line is and I was thinking of the drive down any time now he's gonna say it's love and the phrasing any time now the feeling this evokes of longing and forced patience gets me every time it implies that she's been waiting for a while and it's not just that i've been waiting it's that i know it's coming i know it should be coming yeah i guess it could be a representation of a symbol of their whole relationship really that she's always an expectation but the reality never materializes and this is what we see in the next line you never called it what it was and it just solidifies that thread of him being disingenuous yeah i love how accusatory you never call it what it was is how certain she is of this fact and how absolute the blame is on him not in a bad way to be clear i really like how we don't really know if she ever called it love either out loud to him i think we're to believe that she didn't and that there is no question that this declaration should come from her partner instead for one i love that it almost exposes her blind spot but also it might be telling of the lack of power she might have had in this relationship that there was no question that this defining of a relationship could ever come from her it was solely her partner who had the authority so i think it's more so that than it is a blind spot we were talking about her never really being sure if he's on the same page as her and i think alongside her never really being in that position of authority that she can be the first one to say it it's almost like she needs him to be the first one to say it, to confirm that he's feeling the same things Maybe she could say it, but she needs him to say it first. So in the next couple of lines, we get this continued imagery of decay. She says, Till we were dead and gone and buried check the pulse and come back swearing it's the same after three months in the grave. And I think it's at this point where the relationship is pronounced dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the sense of decay in the autumn imagery coming to a head because this is where it becomes much more gruesome. I really like how the fact that it's after three months in the grave is a depiction of coming back wrong, which is a very popular trope that I'm quite fond of. Check the pulse and come back to it and it's the same. It came back wrong. It's a monster. It's a zombie. And this is reflected in the lyrics, you held my lifeless frame. To me, this line specifically is more that the relationship came back wrong, not her. Well, I think it's both because she gave herself to this relationship and so it's like she died along with it. And so when it's revived, she is also, you know, brought back to life, but she'll never be the same as she was before. The line that struck me is, and then you wondered where it went to as I reached for you. Having built up and torn down her romanticizing of this partner in their relationship, I love how this line shows how he's now at a loss when she no longer 
longer treats him with the same admiration and worship she did before. Mm. It depicts a revival where not only are things different because it died, but because she has changed. Not just that she's a shell of herself, but she's kind of seen him in a different light now. And the fact that it says you wondered where it went to means that he is longing for the way she used to see him. That part of why he was infatuated with her is her treatment of him. That's a great read of that. So we come to the scene without music. This presumably takes place after the dinner party is over and he and she have an argument while they're cleaning up after the party in the kitchen. I like that they're cleaning up after the party because it's like they're picking up the pieces of what the party has brought forth. Yeah. The shot right before this scene happens is one of them in the car together face to face and immediately after we get the shot of them in the kitchen and she's at the sink with her back turned and it's this juxtaposition of them being eye to eye versus now they're at odds. Yeah, I think this scene is quite well executed in that it does an amazing job of representing the state of their relationship and how she felt and how he treated her. I think just this scene really encapsulates their entire relationship, even the good parts. So in this argument they're having, she brings up what happened during the dinner party with him dropping her hand. And one phrase that she keeps repeating is, you didn't even look at me. And at the same time, we constantly see her turning her back on him. And it's like, I think one way to look at it could be highlighting her young age, because the only way she can think to retaliate is doing the same thing to him that he did to her. Yeah. And just in general, also, there's a lot of imagery of eyes and gazes and the significance of looking at someone, seeing someone. And one example is near the end of the scene where he finally convinces her to come around. You know, it's not a big deal. I don't want to fight, whatever. And he hugs her and we get the shot of her looking over his shoulder while they're hugging. And I think it's such a great contrast to the shot of her eyes we saw in the rear view mirror where she was looking at him with so much adoration. But here we can clearly see the doubt start to set in. And I think at this point it would be appropriate to mention Sadie Sink's performance in the film. I think she does an incredible job because this is such a simple shot, but I think it conveys so much emotion. Yeah, I think it goes farther than her doubting him. I think it goes so far as to like, she knows how full of shit he is <laughs> at this point. Because you think in the scene that she's the one who's looking foolish or whatever, but she comes out like, there's no denying she's in the right here, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she says, you didn't even look at me. And one specific thing that she says is, you didn't ask me one thing the entire night. He doesn't really treat her like an equal partner, just an accessory, like we already said, which is, you know, later elaborated as a jewel. I think it's also telling of how he doesn't think much of her. I don't necessarily think that actually, like following the narrative, I don't think it's out of the question that he did value her at some point to some extent but this attitude does show that at least 
he doesn't see her as a peer. And also, his line is, I don't think I'm making you feel that way. I think you're making yourself feel that way. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Any conflict and resolution they may come to as a couple can never happen because the partner seems incapable of taking her seriously and seeing things from her perspective. And to be honest, taking accountability for the way he makes her feel, he changes the fight. They're now not fighting about his attitude. They're fighting about her reaction to his attitude. He fabricates a new problem that he can blame her for to turn things on her. Yeah, he's making her feel responsible for the way she's feeling rather than acknowledging that he's the one who made her feel that way in the first place. He's he's just passing the blame onto her. Yeah. I also love that this is set in the kitchen. The kitchen is the heart of the home, you know, and even the way the scene is lit. It doesn't have any harsh lighting, any overhead lighting. It's warmth, you know, juxtaposed with the actual conversation that they're having. The kitchen is such an honest place. It's almost bare, like it has proof of life. It has the stains of the food you're cooking. It's one of the most worn-in places of a home where a lot of people congregate. You know, this is something that's present in a lot of literature, this setting and its use, and I really love it here. I also think this is a great setting, particularly because you were the one who talked about kitchens before, and I was like, that's such a great point. I never thought of the kitchen that way, but yes, it's a great point. This is also kind of an extension of what you were saying earlier on, that this dinner party kind of reflects how their life would be going forward because with them being in the kitchen it's like a glimpse of that domestic life that they would lead if they had stayed together but it's such a red flag (laughs) that they're as you said in such a homey and honest place and it's like so private and it's just the two of them and you would think that This is the place where you can be 100% vulnerable. But even in a place like this, he's so fake. He's so insincere. And the contrast of that feels especially stark because of the setting. Yeah. And even the way this ends is, like you said, not by resolving the issue, but by him acting sweet. His sorry is just the words. It's to end the fight. He still doesn't acknowledge what he did wrong or even pretend that what she brought up has any significance. He makes light of it so that his already empty sorry is far from an admission of guilt. Even the way he's like quoting her in like this affectation of what he perceives to be the gravity of this issue. Yeah, he says it so many times, it almost becomes a joke that makes her laugh. I think this is where it would be relevant to mention another review that I found, which was from RogerEbert.com, which also mentioned the cinematography. And this is talking about this particular argument scene. Though the instinct may be to emphasize the volatility of their relationship with quick, jarring cuts, the unflinching persistence of the single take means the viewer is left with nothing to do but squirm and despair as we watch their relationship fall apart before our eyes. It's just a really good point. I don't have anything to say on top of that. Yeah. The entire time I was so uncomfortable. I'm like, when will this end? (laughs) I guess what struck me about this point particularly is the last part that we're forced to watch it fall apart before our eyes. And it's like, because we are in her mind, she is forced to go through this repeatedly and so we're put in her shoes where we can't afford to look away we can't close our eyes because we're in her mind you know even when she closes her eyes she's still reliving this all the time it's a very visceral experience and 
it puts us in her shoes really effectively. Yeah. But we go into the pre-chorus and, you know, there's a variation here. Here she says, there was nothing I could do. Which, following the scene, I think speaks volumes. But specifically, having this line follow the end of the last verse, where she says, and all I felt was shame and you held my lifeless frame. Following that really emphasizes how once her romanticism was torn down, she couldn't go back. Even when she still went back to him when he called, she couldn't buy into the delusion anymore. That's really interesting. It's like she can't ignore the evidence anymore. Things have changed beyond repair. And I think one thing that encapsulates this feeling perfectly is in the next line where she describes them dancing around the kitchen and the fact that this takes place in that same setting as when they were arguing earlier on it's like they're back in the highs of the relationship but it's on that same battleground it's like you can't ignore what happened in that place that will always be the place where that incident took place i never caught that but yeah so this chorus is in a new chapter called are you real and yeah they're dancing around the kitchen in the refrigerator light. I really like how this is a callback to when they could still look at things in only one light. It's cute and hiding all the imperfect parts of the relationship. There we are again in the middle of the night. It's before the harsh light of daybreak, before the reality of the relationship comes in to expose all the bad parts. That's a great point because the way I saw the middle of the night thing was always that continued element of secrecy that he wants to always keep her hidden away mm. but yeah they, they go hand in hand yeah you're right my favorite lyric though is down the stairs it really evokes the idea of rock bottom but not necessarily in a negative sense more like the belly of the beast i guess that's bad too but <laughs> More like the deepest, darkest of their desires and fantasies. You know, I love how Down the Stairs is able to recontextualize the sentiment for a mundane and comforting positive connotation instead, while still conveying the intensity of the feeling and its significance. It's the eye of the storm or whatever. In a similar vein, to me, Down the Stairs always felt like a continuation of that upward downward thing we talked about already but also like when I think about the use of specifically the downstairs upstairs thing in State of Grace where she's talking about we're up in your room and our slates are clean and this whole relationship in that song State of Grace is painted in a very pure and holy light so it's like that upward imagery of something you know pure so compared to something like that where this is now the opposite she's coming down the stairs it's like the rose tinted glasses have come off she can't see him quite in that reverent light anymore after everything that's happened but again they're both continuing that charade at least for now yeah but actually i want to talk about the phrasing all too well for a second here so this is obviously the chorus she says i remember it all too well on the surface it talks more of a memory you wish didn't stick around as much as it has an almost spiteful way of putting things but another reading i think is an indication that she's remembering things too well as in there's no actual conceivable way for her to remember things objectively and that these memories are heavily biased i mean subjectivity is inherent to memory but another aspect, I think, is also that she isn't just recalling these memories in the way that she felt about them and saw them in the moment or even soon thereafter. But she's painting a picture of these memories in hindsight after so many changes of perspective. She remembers it too well. It's too detailed. It's too sharp. It's too clear. It's not entirely real. That's such a great point. Building onto that, it's 
also remembering all too well in the sense that now she has that hindsight that she didn't have before. So it's like those original memories, now they are more potent because of everything she knows in the present. Now she's seeing things more clearly than ever. Her eyes have actually opened and it's worse than she thought. Yeah. The next line is one I really like because it has wordplay. <laughs> she says... You kept me like a secret, but I kept you like an oath. I really love that it's the same word, but with such different meanings, illustrating how they're fundamentally on different pages. Because on one hand, he's hiding her, keeping her a secret while she's honoring him. And there's also a theological connotation here with the oath. And also in the next line, there's mention of sacred prayer. And I think this indicates her devotion to him, how she's idolized him and has an almost reverent outlook on him. And, you know, it all makes sense given the power imbalance they have because of their difference in age, which I think has become more and more clear throughout the song and in the film. Yeah, the secrecy thing. In the line, and there we are again when nobody had to know, I know this line's supposed to tell us of the secrecy and the negative connotations, but to me it's again hearkening back to before things fell apart no one had to know yet so they could still live in the little bubble and live the perfect fantasy maybe even so far as to say when nobody had to know when we didn't have to know yet we didn't have to come to these realizations yet Mm. but yeah the secret oath line in the film this is also when they're in bed together which i think is so fitting for this line because of how naked this devotion already is and actually the line we'd swear to me has a lot of significance because the line is sacred prayer and we swear to remember it all too well the fact that they both make promises and even after the relationship is over after she started looking at it in a much different light she still keeps the promise to remember i think that introduces a really interesting motif that we'll see for the rest of the song yeah it's like a twisted version of that promise now because before she was doing it out of her own volition but now she can't help it she's powerless in the face of these memories that just keep appearing again and again in her mind yeah We enter the next chapter, the breaking point. Mm -hmm. And here we see him breaking up with her in like a walk-in closet of some kind. (laughs) And the thing of note here to me is that he puts on a very unaffected front when he breaks things off with her, like he's very detached and calm as if it doesn't mean as much to him. And I don't think that's like inherently bad but it is how it's depicted and what it shows us is the front that he puts up contrasted to her blowing up for lack of a better term i think that speaks a lot of their relationship especially after the breakup and you know we see that in the fight too he made her feel like she was acting crazy or whatever even when she's just being reasonable yeah which i think is just like a natural consequence of a breakup especially one that goes down like this this can be true of any relationship even like healthy ones yeah it's like she's feeling enough emotion for two people at this point because he is so stoic about everything and I think this is not the only point of contrast between them here because there's also as we have seen throughout the difference in the colors they're wearing hers is light and highlighting her innocence and he's wearing dark colors and there's also a difference in their positions she's sitting on the ground and he's looking down at her and again it's 
you know, highlighting that reverent viewpoint until she stands up and turns away from him in the aftermath of the breakup. Also, what caught my eye was the montage of scenes leading up to the breakup because, as you said, they were in bed, but there were just a bunch of scenes showing them being physically intimate, but it felt like the moment they came face to face and looked at each other eye to eye, it broke apart in this scene. It's like they can survive as long as they keep avoiding eye contact, so to speak. Yeah. And she goes on to say, but maybe this thing was a masterpiece till you tore it all up, running scared, I was there. And here, her perception of her partner has been entirely changed at this point seeing him as a coward instead of someone to put on a pedestal this is kind of the first time where it's no longer conflicted she's angry enough mm -hmm. so the next line is probably one of the most iconic from the song it says you called me up again just to break me like a promise this to me felt reminiscent of the previously mentioned oath that they swore to keep and here it's like he broke that promise that they made to each other and it's that sense of betrayal and because she has come to equate herself with the relationship by breaking that promise he's breaking her too the lyric is a straight-up simile she doesn't say that you broke your promises and you broke me what is interesting is the way that this line is placed right after you tore it all up, running scared, that is how he broke the promise. And so when we go into this line and it says, you broke me like a promise, it naturally insinuates that he broke the promise as well. Yeah, and again, there's that sense of inevitability like there was with winter naturally following autumn. It's like by forming the simile, the speaker is implying that the very act of making a promise implies that you're eventually going to break it, which could, you know, show us her changed perspective, the lack of trust that she's developed as a result of this betrayal of this relationship. I really love the next line, so casually cruel in the name of being honest. The phrase casually cruel, I think, emphasizes the disparity in how they treat this relationship after the fact, either telling of the gravity they've each assigned this relationship, or at the very least, the front they put up when having to confront it again. And following this, the lyrics are, I'm a crumpled up piece of paper lying here. In the context of this persona having revisited this past relationship repeatedly, I think this line not only reads as her partner treating her like discarded trash, but also that she's a crumpled up piece of paper because she keeps going over it again and again. So much so that the memory's worn out and in a more literal sense, crumpled. In the film, she's also writing, so it's an experience that she's tried to make sense of but keeps failing. You know, it's an even more literal depiction. That's a great reading. For me, this line is also another extension of her equating herself to this relationship, like her physical form standing for this relationship, if that makes sense. By calling herself a crumpled up piece of paper and this line following the one before about how this thing was a masterpiece till you tore it all up. Again, she's placing the responsibility on him for 
breaking her. And it's also like he was crafting her, his own masterpiece. Because later on, there's a line that says, when you made me your own. And aside from the obvious physical connection, there's a sinister undertone pointing at him, molding her identity, turning her into a possession of his. So yeah, as I said, he was crafting her to be his own masterpiece. And she gave herself so fully to this relationship that it became a living, breathing part of her so that when it died, she died with it. Yeah, that's a great point. I actually really don't like that we see her writing. I think it undermines the complexity of this line in the film. Oh, interesting. We go into the fourth verse and it starts with, they say all swells that end swell, but I'm in a new hell. Which in the film, she's in a party. Now this has become unpleasant. But the use of all swell that ends well, it's from Shakespeare's play where the protagonist has to fight to even have her partner acknowledge their marriage. I think the use of this phrase fits really well here because we've now seen how much the partner belittles the real connection she feels they had as if it never was. But... Another reading that instead looks at what the line itself means also still rejects the idea that whatever settled ending or closure the persona may be granted after the fact, whatever erase the turmoil. Memory still grips her and it still brings pain regardless of the fact that it's over. So I think this phrase being present here can work in multiple ways in the actual meaning of the phrase and the way it's used in the play and also the play itself and how that reflects what she's going through in this narrative. Mm. This line always stuck out to me a little bit because whenever it comes up I'm like it didn't end well (laughs) you know but then when I think about it maybe it could be sort of a jibe at him because it's like for you this is you know all over it's all tied up neatly with a bow you're out of here you chose to leave this relationship and now you're done now all's well that ends well for you but I'm still here (laughs) I'm still in this relationship the way I'm still in this body like I can't leave (laughs) yeah but actually the full line is but I'm in a new hell every time you double cross my mind I think there's also something here to the effect of her realizing that he fooled her I know I'm of the opinion that at some point he did have genuine feelings for her to some extent but in her perspective at this point she is contending with the fact that he might have just fooled her her partner made her believe certain things you know you double crossed my mind he made promises but it was all false it's not just that he betrayed her because the relationship ended but he specifically walked back everything he once made her believe it's that specific thing and yeah i love how that line just also serves as wordplay to remind us that she continually thinks about him, how he keeps crossing her mind over and over. So the lyrics that follow are, you said if we had been closer in age, maybe it would have been fine, and that made me want to die. I really love the delivery of this, especially. It seems like she's screaming into the void, you know, because this is what he said, and she's throwing it back at him, right? I think it's quite similar to him placing blame on her for her feelings he's placing blame on things that are out of both of their hands and it's like he's saying there's no prospect of it going forward because of forces out of our hands so the line after this is the idea you had of me who was she a never needy ever lovely jewel whose shine reflects on you and i quite like the really close placement of the words never and ever, those two extremes. I think it indicates the unrealistic expectations he had of her. This almost dehumanizing outlook where he saw her as an object to make 
himself look better. And the ever lovely thing especially ties in to the age thing and how this is later followed on by I get older but your lover stay my age. It's like he wanted to have a version of her that could never exist. Like a version that is always going to be youthful and beautiful and young and innocent and maybe buy into his twisted games. Yeah. I agree. I love how this turns the tables on the partner because so far we've seen how she may have been romanticizing their relationship and her partner to an extent that she was blind to the obvious flaws, but he was also guilty of only seeing her as a projection of what he wanted and his fantasies. Yep, exactly. Never Needy especially shows how she could never truly be vulnerable with him. The relationship never allowed them to support each other when things get tough because it was only ever flourishing when they were doing well. When she asked for more, the partner characterized her as needy and all the negative connotations that come with that. At the very least, here we see that she felt like he saw her in this light whenever she asked for more. The state of the relationship was flawed either way. The fact that she uses Jewel is really great because it is an accessory and that's what she's implying this entire time. A treasure to look at and admire on a superficial level, but never a person allowed to break and be hurt and wrong and complex. Yeah, but hey, at least now she knows she can make the whole place shimmer. <laughs> <laughs> So in the film, she's lost in a sea of party goers. And in the lyrics, she's weeping in a party bathroom. It seems like in a room of glitz and glamour, all she can do is wallow in hurt and have it overflow to get her down even when there are highs in her life. You know, it's not just about the literal party. I also noticed that she's wearing black here and it's like she's mourning the relationship, mourning her old self. And a lot of people around her are actually also wearing black. And yes, it's obviously because it's a formal event. But on a more figurative level, it's like that shot early on in the film when the camera was revolving around them. It's that same thing of her emotions leaking out into her surroundings because she feels so in despair and so lonely. It's like that sentiment is spreading to her surroundings as well and emphasizing that feeling of being alone even when you're surrounded by people. Yeah. The line, some actress asking me what happened, the phrasing some actress is so specific. It's like she couldn't even hide it away from strangers. The significance isn't the actress, it's some actress. But she starts recounting this instance of him charming her dad. The lyric is, you who charmed my dad with self-effacing jokes. And this is very reminiscent of how this somewhat naive character was primed for his sweet disposition. Here it's how a typical dad would be charmed by self-effacing attitude from his child's partner. That in hindsight, he almost feels to her like a snake oil salesman. It's much more slimy. Yeah, I think that's echoed in the falsity and juxtaposition of the self-effacing jokes versus the sipping coffee like you're on a late night show. I already mentioned the self-centeredness of that line before and it's like contrasted with the self-effacing part of it. It really highlights his lack of sincerity, his act basically. I actually think it's not a contrast because the picture depicted of somebody sipping coffee on a late night show is very like fake, humble, 
actor dude you know what i'm saying yeah i see what you mean because in that environment you would expect fake humility you would expect that veneer but like to me it's that friction between knowing very well that you're the center of attention here that all eyes are on you and acting like it's no big deal like yes that's what you would expect but that is also duplicitous Yeah, I agree. What I found was a great contrast, actually, is how this is placed right after the depiction of her breakdown post-breakup. His put-together front contrasted with her heartbreak that's so on the surface. Yeah. The lyrics after this, but then he watched me watch the front door all night willing you to come. We've already covered how strangers see her during this time, but the perspective of a parent is just heartbreaking because it feels so raw having such a close loved one seeing you at your lowest or for lack of a better word your most pathetic just hits so hard yeah i think it makes it especially personal to involve her family in this he's very much an important figure in her life if this relationship breaks down it doesn't just affect her it affects people who love her as well and i always did think that this line was phrased a little awkwardly he watched me watch the front door but But even then, it does feel reminiscent of the wide-eyed gaze from earlier on. It's like the nature of the gaze changes. There's a sense of desperation in there now, of negative feelings starting to seep in from what was once a loving thing. Yeah, I agree. I think it also lengthens the weight. He watched me watch. It's the moment that is the most excruciating. Mm, You're right. You feel doubly helpless because it's not just her watching the front door, it's by extension him also feeling helpless towards her being so powerless in this relationship. The lyrics go on to say, and he said it's supposed to be fun turning 21. Which, (laughs) first of all, finding out how young this character is just really puts everything so far in a new light and hammers home the unspoken aspect of their relationship. For another, this line shows so well how this has specifically turned what may have been a carefree, youthful existence fraught. It's not just this night. This night is representative of how her partner has made her feel to always be waiting and longing for him to never be good enough to never really reach that point of validation and in the film especially her party skews very young and is miles different from her partner's dinner party with his friends because it's shot in a very similar way and blocked very similarly as well but you see the contrast of this really adult dinner party and this almost childish birthday party That's a great parallel to draw between those two scenes. If I remember correctly, in the dinner party scene, I think a part of it was shot with the camera revolving around the table. And it was sort of reminiscent of that much faster shot of the camera revolving around the couple. And it's kind of like that sense of a whirlwind romance is slowly coming to a grinding halt. Yeah. Whereas... In the birthday party scene, which is paralleled with him meeting her father, the camera pans straight inward and outward really slowly. And it kind of feels like a deep intake of breath and then a gradual release. It's kind of mirroring the character's journey. It's like that tension slowly building up until you reach the breaking point and then you let it all go and i quite liked the way that these two scenes were shot side by side 
So we go into the next chapter, the reeling, and this is the fifth verse. Before the lyrics start up again, we get this montage of flashbacks of the relationship side by side with shots of her hitting rock bottom, basically, like the lowest of the low, experiencing that kind of excruciating pain where you can't even get out of bed. Visually, it's a very stark contrast to previous scenes, you know, where we saw very intimate moments between her and her partner in a bedroom together. They were also always at like his place, right? I think so. And this is like her finally returning to her own bedroom and it's so different. Yeah, you're right. And it's like returning to herself, except the lyrics are, I'd like to be my old self again, but I'm still trying to find it even when she goes back to her room she is no longer the same it doesn't fit anymore it really highlights how much of herself she gave up for this relationship that she has to build herself back up after true of many if not most relationships of course which is why it lands so well i think yes she's gone back i think this is echoed in the next line as well where she says now you mail back my things and i walk home alone it's such a stark reality compared to the days of being whisked away on road trips and we've basically come full circle because in the beginning of the song they were walking into his home together and now she's going back all alone the idea of home changes right a place you once thought was home can become alienated from you yeah this is still the same verse and we're already moving on to the next chapter i think it goes to show like how quickly she's like spiraling because now we go into the remembering i love this because it's yet another glimpse at the partner's perspective or at least what she perceives to be her partner's perspective yeah the partner also has this memory because it was shared between them. No matter how much he may try to undermine it or set it aside, he will always have it because it happened and because it did matter to him. He can't wash himself of her. And in the lyrics, it's depicted through the tails of scarf <laughs> that he keeps it and it reminds him of her. But it all culminates in her declaring that he remembers it all too well. I love it because... It's like, at this point, it's already out of the question that she was the only one who was affected, who saw things the way she remembers. She's now come to this conclusion. She knows that he remembers, and nothing he could say can hide that vulnerability of his from her. But in the film, we actually see him supposedly remembering. Yeah, I initially didn't know how I felt about this, the fact that we see him. This is the main thing I was referring to when I was talking about the things that I don't like about this film, but that I can kind of see having a purpose anyway. Because throughout this film and the song, we have always been in her mind. We're always seeing things through her eyes. So it felt quite jarring to see him separated from her all of a sudden. But I suppose one way this could be read, and this could be reflected in the lyrics changing from I remember it all to you remember it all, is her imagining him suffering the same way she is just so she can feel some sense of closure or like at least some sense of justice that he is also in pain the same way she is. I think the lyrics especially indicate the speaker wanting to share this burden of memory and almost pushing it onto him, whether it's real or not, as if she wants him to be entrapped by the memories too. So like what we're seeing in the film could be just her imagination, could be something that she's telling herself for comfort. So if I see it that way, it's a little bit less annoying. <laughs> My problem is that that could very well be the case, except that there is a language to films 
to visual arts that isn't the same as songwriting because as a song independent of the film this is great it's recontextualizing the lyrics that we've come to know it's saying the same things in a different light it's changing the perspective and that is always a great moment in music the problem is that one of my biggest pet peeves is breaking a perspective if you've committed to something if you started a movie with the framing narrative of somebody telling a story you can't then show scenes where that character wasn't present if the story is his own or her own and so i think what was a strength of the song becomes a con of the film because that doesn't work in film and so i wish they had just like not done a literal depiction of this half of the verse that makes sense i also don't think it's like one of the stronger points of the film i also am not fond of the flashbacks that we get here it just feels too high school video projecty. <laughs> it felt like there were so many glimpses of creative thinking so far in the film, but here it feels like they didn't shoot enough scenes or something and they had to fill up the <laughs> space with existing footage. I know they wanted to show them reliving the moments from this relationship, reliving the highs and lows, but I, I'm sure there was a more creative way to show that. So we do go into the chorus next. And this is another variation with the lyrics because there we are again when I loved you so back before you lost the one real thing you've ever known. I really love the way she throws this back at him. It's clearly some bullshit that he said. And I like how it shows how his sweet words are now like acid and telling of his deceit. Mm. But what I especially love is the lyrics. It was rare. It's incredibly human to still treat this past relationship, the flaws of which she's come to realize and dissected as a gem. Even knowing it's fantasy, you still dream of it anyway. It's difficult to face that some things are hard to find, not because they're special, but because they were false. Interesting. That is a great read of that line. So at the end of the montage of memories, we see her get up and walk away from a mirror behind her from her own reflection like she's walking away from this version of her it could be that she's accepted that she's lost a part of herself and she's resigned herself to not finding it again so she's just walking away from herself completely but in the next chapter which is entitled 13 years gone the first shot we get of her is actually looking in the mirror again and it's like with time she's able to to face her new self. Yeah. In the beginning of this chapter, we see her all grown up now and she's getting ready for an event. And we actually get this really quick shot of some photo frames on the wall. And I quite like that because they represent other memories that aren't tied to this relationship. They are evidence of the fact that she went on and lived and did new things and formed new memories. And that unlike, you know, how she thought before that she had died with the relationship, unlike that sentiment, she is still alive. She is still living and breathing and making new memories. Yeah. But this is when we go into the sixth verse. Because yes, there are six verses. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 10 minute song. There's a lot of verses. It starts with the lyrics, and I was never good at telling jokes. I love that 
where we are now in the narrative, where the relationship has ended and the perfect depiction of this partner torn down, she's allowing herself to present even her traits that fall short. She can't make a proper joke, but she's gonna make her point anyway. It's freeing, and it's reflected in the contrast of how this verse is constructed to that of the previous verses. The ones before were formulaic and proper. They stick pretty close to the beat, whereas here it deviates from the melody we've come to know in the song so far. And the instrument is a repeat of main chords without an accompanying melody that guides the lyrics. And I think that's really great that now that she's unshackled from this past, she's able to, you know, be messy. And like, I was never good at telling jokes, but the punchline goes, I'll get older, but your lover stay my age. She no longer has to live up to this perfect expectation. She's not gonna like spend forever trying to come up with the joke because she's not good at that, but she's still gonna make her point. I like your reading a lot, especially the implication that she can finally be vulnerable again without having to fear ridicule. Although I did have a different impression of that line because to me, it feels more sarcastic. It almost feels like a pointed comment at him that I was never good at telling jokes, but here's this one you've been telling the whole time. Like here's our whole relationship was one that you've been formulating this whole time. And here's the punchline. That is so much better. <laughs> it makes the line so much better in my eyes. Like that is great. That this whole thing has been leading up to like, this is all a joke and this is it. This is the tension breaking. This is the punchline of the song, of the narrative, of the film. And it echoes what I imagine would be her sense of embarrassment as well. Like she's been made a joke out of because she feels like he's potentially been toying with her this whole time. So that's another possible reading. That's great. The line itself though, the punchline itself. Yeah. I'll get older, but your lover stay my age. Cutting line, no doubt. But an interesting aspect, I think, is that this character has shown how she's stuck in the memory of this past relationship. But here we see that while that may be the case, she as a person will keep growing and changing while the partner is instead the one actually stuck in the same cycle he had put the character through while they were together. Despite being haunted by the memories, she is the one actually able to move on while he makes the same mistakes. Oh my gosh, you're right. And the lyrics also say, From when your Brooklyn broke my skin and bones. And I adore this phrasing, your Brooklyn, instead of your voice or your words. It encapsulates everything. His attitude, his persona, his, you know, accent, whatever. His background. Similar to the lifeless frame or the I'm a crumpled up piece of paper. It's that very physical manifestation of the emotional effects of this relationship. Yes. Relating to this continued physical manifestation of the emotional effect, the next line I feel also does a great job of this because it says, I'm a soldier who's returning half her weight. And Taylor Swift has previously used this love as war motif before. Examples that come to mind is State of Grace and also in the future, Archer and the Great War. Also with the half her weight thing, one comparison could be to tolerate it the 
color gain the weight of you than lose it. Except here, it's physical consequences for her own body. She's lost parts of herself and that manifests itself in her physical body in this metaphor. And here it's supposed to be she's returning half her weight because she gave up a part of herself to this relationship and to her partner. But I think it also depicts how you often are after a loss. Losing weight is a very common symptom of depression and you know everything you're right and it also paints an image of lacking sustenance it's like as you might expect in a real war there's shortage of resources of basic sustenance and it's like she's coming out of a relationship where she didn't get the basics that she needed it was emotionally draining to the point where it's sucked the life out of her and actually here so far she's landed blow after blow after blow and then it's these two lines of lyrics and did the twin flame bruise paint you blue just between us did the love affair maim you too and the music mellows out and there's this almost like choir in the background that's very holy like we've mentioned multiple times this song has a lot of religious imagery but I really like how the almost like vicious attack, as I've said, halts for a moment for this couplet. It's a moment of honest vulnerability where she truly wonders if her partner's been affected as much as she has. I think it's such a meaningful beat in this soliloquy. For a split second, she allows him to hurt her or not hurt her again, to have a say in how she feels just by opening up this line of inquiry. Despite all this, the question still plagues her. She can make all the logical conclusions she wants and look at things with a clear head after the dust settles but part of her will always be vulnerable to this you're right it's a shift from that previous almost insistence that you remember it all too well you must remember it paraphrasing there <laughs> to as you said to asking him I also love that it's as just between us because like put aside the peers and the embarrassment and everything. If it was just you and me, you would you would admit it, right? Yeah. Even after the whole kitchen thing, him being fake in complete privacy, she's still holding out hope that he might be genuine for once. I guess he wouldn't. <laughs> for me, this twin flame bruise paint you blue phrase reminds me of state of grace specifically the line twin fire signs four blue eyes if we consider this as a linked narrative it's a shift in the way the color blue is represented because in state of grace with the twin fire signs four blue eyes it paints this picture of a beautiful balance because you're talking about fire signs but the blue there is much more calming. It's like balancing out the uncontrollable passion of the fire. It's like a grounding force almost. But once we get to all too well, paint you blue, it gains a much different connotation. The blue is no longer calming. It's no longer comforting. It becomes sad, depressed. And with the blue here, at this point in the song, as I mentioned earlier on, there's been this transition in the colors. So at this point, we've gone from red to blue as the relationship comes to an end. And the bounty of autumn transitions to the city's barren cold. And this is 
where we get the next lines about the snow. Yeah, the lyrics are, Cause in the city's barren cold, I still remember the first fall of snow and how it glistened as it fell. To be completely honest, I don't know what this means. <laughs> Is it that even during their downfall, things still looked pretty? I thought so too. Although I do like the meaning that you introduced earlier, how now she's pushed into the city's barren cold in contrast to the perfect little town street. That's one potential reading. It's like her learning to find the beauty in fallen things. And as a result of that, she's also seeing herself in a more positive light because yes, she's been broken and bruised and damaged by this relationship, but she's finally learned to see the value in an experience like that she's grown from it and she can finally see herself as a whole human again that's not missing parts yeah actually i also really like how the falling snow parallels the falling autumn leaves yeah but when we first hear the line about snow glistening this is also where we see grown-up her's face for the first time which is why i was led to that conclusion about the speaker seeing beauty in fallen things because visually at this point the viewer is focused on grown-up her for the first time i see that so in the film she's apparently now a published author and she's about to go in front of a crowd to do a reading and i really love this moment right before she goes in front of the crowd. The music is playing the line, I remember it all too well. She is about to go out there, presumably to revisit this experience yet again, because the book is titled All Too Well, so we are to understand that this has to do with her experience. She has a moment of stealing herself behind the curtain, and it's clearly, it's a painful thing to revisit. It's like, even though she's turned this into a book, she maybe has made sense of it, as opposed to when she was writing earlier in the film. Even after all of this, she still needs to steal herself before going out in front of a crowd and revisiting this memory. It's such a human moment. Yeah. You're right. It never gets easier. But on the bright side, it is a huge stride that, as you said, before she was struggling to put everything down into words. And that's because she was still in the middle of the reeling. <laughs> yeah. But with time and with hindsight, she's finally been able to create this neat little package out of a really messy experience. And that's a feat in itself sure and as she's doing this reading the partner is looking in on her through the window from the outside wearing the scarf yeah i don't know how i feel about this i don't like it i think what i'm discovering is i don't like whenever we go back to the partner because for the narrative it doesn't really work I agree. Before, when we were getting those shots of him remembering this relationship the same way she was, I could try and justify it, kind of. But here, I don't like it at all. Because even if back then you could kind of chalk it up to her wanting him to hurt as much as she does, here, it's like finally the objective third person thing is happening where we're seeing that she's successful but he's still hung up on her he's still wearing that scarf whereas in the song the scarf was always hidden away in that drawer there's no indication of him ever taking it out to wear it or ever seeking that same relationship or being hung up on her necessarily there's no confirmation 
confirmation that that's exactly what's happening. So this is a discrepancy between the song and the film that I really don't like at all. I think this is the part that I dislike the most. One way I can explain it is maybe like now he's the one out in the cold because we get this glow of warmth from the window and from her reading and he's outside in the snow. Yeah, that's true. That's a good way of looking at it. But maybe if he had just been walking, like he doesn't know it's her. He's just living his own life. But because of his repeated horrible behavior that he doesn't seem to be able to move on from, he's still in the dark and in the cold. Whereas she's grown. Yeah. I think even the scarf is fine to represent that it did impact his life, even if it's just that he gained a scarf, you know, symbolic of other <laughs> Yes, new scarf for free. <laughs> he just dates people so that he can get free things. <laughs> I think this might be a good point to mention one last review that I found. This is from CBR.com and it's about Taylor Swift playing the role of grown-up her. It says, It takes away from the artistic feel of All Too Well, the short film, coming off like a promotional video and, well, marketing from Swift. Had she just cut out her cameo, it would have felt more genuine and less about ego. Sometime a little bit onward, Swift's cameo, the lack of reunion, and forcing her into the role of Victor doesn't have the intended sentimentality, devaluing a love story for fans and non-fans alike. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I'm gonna tackle the simpler part first. They had an opinion about the film ending with a reunion instead of him just watching from afar. I'm not gonna touch that because I don't care. I'm more interested in forcing her into the role of Victor because I do kind of understand that sentiment. It's kind of linked to what I was saying before about it feeling like we're in that third person narrator now because it's almost forcing onto us her success versus him still being hung up on her. So I kind of understand that. But the main point which I severely disagree with is about Taylor Swift playing the role of grown-up her and how it's a cameo that's about ego. I think this is where the blurred lines between short film and music video are becoming confusing because I think this reviewer is just treating this short film like a short film in the traditional sense, akin to authors making cameos in movie adaptations of their books, which I think is not a fair interpretation or comparison. I don't understand. Is he like... Oh no, it's about Taylor Swift all along. Like, <laughs> it's also like, she's barely in it. The line that strikes me as especially absurd is that it's supposedly about her ego. It's not like someone else was adapting her song into something else and she just had to be a part of it. Like, yes, we want to separate the artist from the work and view it separate from like her personal life and stuff. But the fact is that this is a very personal story that she is translating into another form. And so of course, it's got her all over it. Even if she wasn't on screen physically, it's still all her. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't understand how having Taylor Swift play grown up her is any more egotistical than Taylor Swift making this <laughs> film. Or like any more egotistical than her starring in any of her videos. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, I had to bring it up just to criticize it. I mean, it was funny. Yeah, we needed a lighthearted joke after all this heavy discussion. Yes, but the outro is this repetition of the memories. You know, it really paints a picture of how the memory won't stop resurfacing. I think as much as the outro is a way to stretch the time to like 10.13 or something, which is a significant number for this writer, I do think it serves a purpose. Yes, I agree. But the line that I actually really love is before we get to the repetition, the line is just between us. I remember it. This is a secret she's now imparting, a confession. Despite everything she's laid out and said and like, I'm better than this, I've grown from this. And, you know, she's offered it to her partner. Just between us, will you please just tell me that it means something to you? And obviously we don't have an answer to that, but she confesses at the very last moment. Just between us, I remember it. And that's out there now. Also the repetition of just between us. Because before this phrase was uttered when she was asking him. And so this kind of feels like an offering of vulnerability waiting for his response just because of that wording being the same. But on the other hand, it could also be that she doesn't really expect a response. It's just her own response at this point is enough to put her at ease. But the repetition, I think that's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole song. On one hand, this repetition of the same details that we've been hearing throughout the song shows us that in a way, she's still reliving these moments, even though it's been years and you know she has moved on. A part of her is still there in the past, paralyzed in one moment of time. And the repetition feels almost like a chant, the sacred prayer that was mentioned earlier on but at the same time the pace of this outro is much slower than the rest of the song and more meditative and it almost gives the impression that instead of reliving these moments she's also slowly working through them step by step until the music fades and the memories aren't as resonant in her mind anymore and it leaves a trace of hope by fading the song out instead of just ending it because it's imitating that slow healing process, the gradual fading of the pain and indicating that there's a possibility of moving on with time. It's a great reading. And also in the film, the song actually fades to the sound of the wind. I found that quite haunting because it's like the calm after the storm, you know? Like it hints at the tumultuous nature of the relationship but also tells us that a calm is sure to follow. Or another reading could just be that, you know, after all that trouble, all that pain, it just fades to silence. Like, <laughs> it's not some neat ending with closure and you can completely move on and be yourself again. It's messy and it's incomplete, but that's just reality. Yeah, I think the wind is to carry the memory away because you were talking about how it slowly fades away until she can, you know, let it go. And that fits very well because natural imagery has been present throughout with the autumn leaves and the snowfall and whatever. Yeah. It also ends with a set of doors like it began, except this time the doors remain closed. That's great. I love that. Well, an absurd conclusion... Apparently, some people don't realize that this was written by Taylor Swift <laughs> and directed by Taylor Swift. Sung by Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> Such an egotistical move to star in it. <laughs> what the hell, Taylor Swift? <laughs> Stop hogging credit. <laughs> 
like, what did you do for this project? What's also funny is that maybe the hidden real journey here is of her partner gaining a scarf. Yeah, maybe he just dates people so that he can get free stuff out of it. And then he dumps them <laughs> when he realizes he's not getting any more. Yeah, when the season changes and he needs a new wardrobe. <laughs> Yeah. Look, I don't blame him. Winter gear is expensive. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> have our opinions changed and would you recommend this movie? To be completely honest, I don't think I'm going to go back to this movie again. <laughs> but I do think I will remember it a lot better now because of these nuances that we've uncovered and little details that we've discussed, I think it will make me appreciate the effort behind this project more. Because the song and the film are so separate in my mind, my appreciation for the song will always dwarf anything to do with the film. Like in my mind, the best experience is just focusing on the song itself. And this film is a nice supplement to at least watch once, but I don't think it's anything to return to time and time again the way the song is. My opinions have changed. I like it better. I like this film more just because I didn't have much of an opinion on it before, I think. Mm -hmm. Me too. So, just in that sense. However, I'm sorry to say I don't recommend it. I don't think you should run towards your nearest tab. <laughs> To watch this short film. Weirdly, I do not think it stands on its own, which is a weird thing to say because the song is in the film. I think the film doesn't add anything to the narrative or the song, or at least it doesn't add anything worth the watch. Because obviously it adds some things. It adds the scene with the dialogue, which is great. But I don't think it adds anything you really need to appreciate the song or anything worthwhile to the narrative. And from that alone, I think it's telling that you don't need to watch it and that it didn't make enough of an impact on me that I'm telling everybody to go and watch it, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily recommend the film. <laughs> That's fair. I think the way I see it, the main star of the show, the main piece of art is the song. And the song stands well enough on its own. Whereas I think the movie doesn't necessarily stand out were it not for the song. I think if you took away the song, it would be like a typical story of a toxic relationship. I don't think there's anything in there that's particularly groundbreaking or anything. Like it's well done to some extent and it has elements that stand out. But as a film separated from the song, I don't think it has as much of a leg to stand on. I definitely wouldn't recommend experiencing the song for the first time with the film. But like later on when you're familiar enough with the song. You recommend it? I think sure. Like you don't have to. It's not necessary. It's fine if you don't. But sure, why not? <laughs> it's my recommendation. Fair. So even though you wouldn't recommend the movie, are there any snacks you might recommend for those who might be watching it? My recommended snack is a snow cone. Interesting. With some syrup. Yeah. I was going to recommend a caramel apple maybe because very Ooh, autumny. Very fall. Yeah. The return of the apple. <laughs> <laughs> Slather yours in caramel to disguise the taste of poison. <laughs> so, we hope you enjoy our April Fool's episode. <laughs> if you have any suggestions for movies we should discuss on the podcast, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot. <laughs>